It is good. It's good to be back. Well, we are continuing in Colossians, and these next two verses that we're getting to are still part of the paragraph that we looked at last week. And so we're going to just quickly, because we've been in this for a bit, do a very quick recap of this letter up to this point. So Paul has sent his greetings to the church, and then he follows that up by pointing out some theological errors that are just seeking to erode the foundation. I went really loud there for a second. Erode the foundation of this faith community in this city of Colossae. And likewise, we have, right, all the time, just some like tweaks to truth, some half steps over that can seek to erode the foundations of our faith community because our enemy is the prince of lies. He doesn't have to do much. He just needs to tweak it a little bit to erode that foundation. And so Paul calls them back to that radical middle, to truth. And then he starts to give them some advice moving forward. And we saw this starting at the beginning of this chapter 3 as he urges them to seek out Jesus, to stay hidden in him. And because of that, he was able to show God the lifelines of sin in the life of the believers, that we're not just tackling the behavior of sin, but we're actually going to the root of brokenness that is present in our lives, all of us, and get rid of it from the source. We're not just treating symptoms. We go to the root. But the flip side of that coin, that righteousness coin, is that we want to live out the consequence of the gospel, right? We don't want to just not sin. We also want to live righteously. And so seeking Jesus and staying hidden in him leads us to this effect of walking out the character of Christ, the fortitude to do life together with other broken, messy people, and the agape love that we otherwise couldn't claim. And so again, these next two verses we're looking at come just on the heels of this admonition to walk out agape love, a love with no strings that we actually cannot claim in our own human brokenness. We are phileo love people. We want something reciprocated. But the love of Christ in us allows us to live in harmony seeking the best for others and not with anything in return. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians 3, verses 15 and 16. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. And if you are here this morning and you don't have a Bible, can you just come let us know? We would love to give you one. We, have, we order Bibles all the time just so that we can give them out. It's one of our favorite things. And a paper Bible is so great because you can mark it up, you can underline, you can take notes. Your phone is great too, but I don't know about you, like when I switch translations, my notes aren't there. Anyone else sees that glitch in digital? This is just so much better. So come see us. We'll give you a paper Bible. Colossians 3, verses 15 to 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God 
with gratitude in your hearts. I hate camping. No, I'm in an outdoors city, and I hate it. Hate camping. Love the idea of camping, right? All those images on TV and movies, they look fantastic. Sitting around a beautiful fire with the stars and marshmallows, that sounds fantastic. The reality of camping for me does not live up to that. Like, if I want to break, why am I going to take my mom life move it to a different location and up the difficulty factor. It makes zero sense, right? You still have to clean, just now you have to clean a tent filled with dirt and pine needles and no vacuum, right? You still have to cook, just now you have to do it on two elements and a fire. And you still have to do dishes, but now you have to do ice cold water or scalding hot, because in camping, we all know there's no in between. Right? Like, it just makes zero sense to me. And if you love camping, I'm not trying to change your mind. It's just not for me. My good friend Ben Johnson said at one of our young pastor's retreats, I love sleeping under the stars, all five of them. <laughs> and while I don't need five-star accommodations, I'm with him. Long or short, where we dwell matters. Where we dwell is either going to bring us life and fulfillment and peace, or it's going to bring us frustration and agony and hardship. For me, hotels are one, camping's the other. Where we dwell matters. And I'm using this word dwell intentionally because it's one of the only words that actually can have a dual meaning. You can dwell temporarily like you would on a vacation, or you can dwell permanently like you would at home. Where you dwell matters. And in this portion of scripture, Paul is flipping the script on us. Leading up to verse 15, he has been saying, hey, young church, hey, Christians that are going to live far past me. Where you dwell matters. Dwell in Jesus. Dwell well in him. But now he's flipping the script and he's saying, you know what? That's just not enough. You need to allow God to dwell in you. You need to allow him to dwell well in the deep parts of your own life. And this is what we're going to look at this morning, but let's pray. God, I thank you so much in how you unite your people. And this morning, how you have just been pointing us to the cross over and over and over. And God, we just stand in awe of it, especially this week as we remember the journey that you went through from today to Friday, when you gave yourself as a sacrifice that we could find redemption and healing. And so, God, would you help us be people who don't just dwell in you, but who make space in our own lives for you to dwell in us. 
Would you help us to be good soil as we dig into your word this morning? Spirit of truth, you want to speak to your people, and so would you allow my human words just to fade away? Would you speak as you need to to each one of us? In your precious name, amen. Well, I think that this is actually the best news of all, that we get to have the King of Kings, the God of the universe, dwell within us. And here's why. We are not good permanent dwellers. Does anybody notice that? We talked about that in the hide-and-seek message. Like, we are those toddlers who someone just says, say, where are you? And we're like, right here. I'm going to step out of my safe place. I'm going to step out of God into whatever environment as soon as I'm beckoned. And we are that way. Like if it was left up to us to solely just dwell in Jesus for security, we wouldn't be very secure because we are temporary dwellers. Our life is a series of passing through and coming back to the presence of God. And hopefully that looks like staying longer duration and frequency in the coming back. But this life that we're on is just a journey of learning to dwell in Jesus. And so if it was up to us to stay hidden in him, we're in big trouble. And so the great news is that it isn't. There's a dual dwelling that happens here when we get to make room for God to dwell in us because God is not like us. He's not wishy-washy. When he takes residence, when he dwells within us, he's there permanently. He's not beckoned out of his hiding spot. He's there to stay. He dwells forever. And when we make room, God is faithful to his promises to fill us, to come and do something deep within us. And as he does, we see this spill over of his presence within our lives. There's this continuation of cause and effect, like we learned last week, just in a little bit of a different way, because now we're not the ones dwelling in God and seeing the cause and effect from that decision we're seeing the cause and effect of allowing him to dwell within us. And we need both. And so we see what Paul has spoke, but we see what Paul is speaking now. And this incredible, that incredible peace that comes when we make room for God. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And the word in the Greek for this phrase, the peace of Christ, is irene. And yes, it means peace like we would define it in the English, like tranquility and harmony. But in addition to that, it means the Messiah's peace, or the way that leads to peace with God, which is salvation. Likewise, the message of Christ, 
Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly is not just like everything that Jesus has said. It's the good news of the gospel, the message of Christ that leads to peace with God through salvation. And in two different ways of saying this, with different words, in two different verses, Paul's saying, make room for the cross in your life. Make room. Allow the message of Jesus, allow that cross to be a constant companion to you. Not just a passing through temporary dweller. Allow it to take root and set up permanent residence within us. Now, that doesn't just mean like setting our mind to the cross. It actually means allowing the Holy Spirit to have room to permanency within us. See, when we say yes to Jesus, when we say yes to redemption and salvation, the Holy Spirit is with us. We're told that in the Bible right away. He walks with us. He helps convince us of sin. He points us back to Jesus. But there is something that happens when we make room within us. When the Holy Spirit actually takes permanent residence within us. And we know that the Godhead, the three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, there is no hierarchy. There is no pride in them. We saw this in the life of Jesus as he pointed us back to God the Father all the time. And he said, you know what? Something better is coming. Like, I'm going to go so that one who is better can come with you, the Holy Spirit. There's no pride in Jesus, even though there could have been. And likewise, the Holy Spirit points us always back to Jesus, back to the work of the cross, back to salvation. And so having the cross as constant companion isn't like having the cross as constant companion. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to remind us, to refresh what it means to be saved, what that cross actually meant. And I want to step out of this passage for a minute and tell you what what I think that that means, to have the cross as a constant companion. I think that means that we have an acute awareness of who we are. That we are sinful beyond all things. That outside of Jesus, we cannot attain anything good. We cannot pretend to be anything good. Because my heart is deceptive above all things. My motivation and my mind, all of it, when left to myself, is going to be selfish and broken, and it's going to lead to pain for anyone around me. Having the cross as my constant companion reminds me that I cannot boast in anything because I am not able to attain anything good but for the grace of God. And having the, constant, the cross's constant companion reminds me always of who Jesus is. That he is the one who redeemed me. That he led a perfect life so that he could trade his holiness for my brokenness. That he could trade his joy for my anguish. Having the cross as a constant companion allows me to come with a gratitude deeply ingrained in my heart 
because I recognize that apart from him, all was lost. And the cross's constant companion reminds me of who I am now. It reminds me that I was bought at a great price. And I don't think that's something that we can get, like that we can understand how great the price of the cross was, unless the Holy Spirit awakens us to that. But it reminds me of a worth that I have now, a worth that was lost to my brokenness and my shame, that God, knowing that I am wicked and deceitful above all things, still chose to die. Not to force me to love him, but to give me the choice because that's how worthy I am in his sight. And having the cross as my constant companion gives me an assuredness that I don't need to hide from God, that he welcomes me. But it also reminds me when I look at everyone around me that I interact with, that they are valuable to God, that they have a great worth, that they too have been bought with a price. And when I'm tempted to hide from God, the constant companion of the cross reminds me that God wants to dwell well within me if I will make room, if I will invite him in. We're all given the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's with us, but are we welcoming him in us? Because without him, we can't prosper. And without him, our community can't prosper. Without him, we can never have true peace. And now this true peace is one that's supposed to be within us, one that the Holy Spirit works out in our own lives. We also see this true peace within our community. So we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, since as members of one body, the church, all of the children of God globally throughout history, you were called to peace. Verse 16, and let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. I came across this anonymous quote um, while studying, and I thought it was fantastic. Paul is telling these Colossian Christians to allow the peace of God to act as an umpire in their interactions with other Christians to dictate what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior to ensure compliance with the will of God in those relationships. Because peace is impossible without the Spirit of God dwelling within us. You only have to look at the newspapers to know that that's true. Peace is impossible apart from God. And it doesn't make any sense, right? Like, surely if we all just tried our best, surely if we all just followed our heart, surely if we just, you insert statement, we'd see peace. But the problem with that is that we're operating on this idea that we are all good, that we are all 
whole people. And we know that that's not true. The cross reminds us of that. And here's what peace would look like in my reality. Peace would look like do whatever I say. Don't argue. Tell me what a fantastic idea it is and how wonderful I am. And there will be peace. Right? And that's not actually peace. It's a lack of conflict, not peace. But the problem with thinking that peace is just going to come if two people are good enough is that we are wicked and deceitful. Jeremiah 17 Verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? My very motivations for peace are selfish. My whole strategy to get peace is going to be skewed to favor me. That's just the reality of who we are. Because we are not yet redeemed. We are not yet in heaven where there will be true peace. Right here on this earth, we are going to have to come to a different definition of what peace is. And peace is not lack of conflict. The peace that we're being urged to here in Colossians 3.15 is actually love, loyalty, and care. It's a devotion to one another, a desire to come alongside each other in growth and redemption that can only happen if the Holy Spirit is dwelling well within us. I'll never forget going to a coffee shop in Starbucks the coffee shop was Starbucks in Surrey, and pulling in after my girlfriends. And they were already sitting at the table, and I sat down, and I didn't realize it, but it was going to be an intervention. I just thought it was coffee. And my two best friends sat across from me and said, Hey, Lisa, the phrase that you say most when we ask you how you're doing is, I'm great, I just have to get to July. I just have to get through these next three weeks. I just have to get. Do you think you're doing too much? Of course, I argued like I've never argued before because I'm a perfectionist. I'm a go-getter. I have this actually deep brokenness that tells me that I have to earn God's love. It whispers to me over and over and over. Don't say no. If you say no, God's not going to love you anymore. And to every single one of my arguments, they argued back. It was not peaceful. but it was love, loyalty, and care that exposed my sin, 
it exposed this deep, broken root that the symptoms were my busyness. The symptoms were that I was saying yes to things that I should have said no so that other people could use their giftings. The symptoms were there. And you know what, church, the thing about busyness is that we, like, applaud people's sin. We're like, look at you. It's still sin. Have not have margin. It's actually sin. This is totally off script. Um, but if you find yourself there, can we chat? Because I've been exactly where you are. And God wants better for you like he wanted better for me. If my best friends hadn't said, you know what, we don't need another coffee. We need a little bit of peace that's not tranquility. So that we can walk our friend to the cross and to healing. I don't know. Like, my body was already revolting against me. I don't know. But what I needed in that moment was peace that was beyond emotion. What I needed was the constant companion of the cross that was saying, you know what, your worth is not found in what you do. Your worth is found in the fact that Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. Love and acceptance and favor is not in what you do. When you look at the cross, can you ever think that God could love you more than he already does? What I needed was love, loyalty, and care. And church, sometimes peace in community is not going to feel like peace. It's not going to look like peace. It's not going to be a lack of conflict. It's going to be loving each other enough to say, let's have the hard conversation. Out of love, loyalty, and care. Because I love you too much to let you stay like this. And I want you to walk with me to the cross and to the healing and restoration that is in Jesus. And just like we heard last week, right, we're going to have messy community because we are messy people. There's going to be awkwardness in community because we are awkward people. But just because sometimes there isn't tranquility in community doesn't mean that it's not peace. In fact, Paul says, teach and admonish one another. Admonish is another word for warn or rebuke. So he's saying live in peace and warn and rebuke one another. Well, that sure doesn't seem peaceful. But it's because we've bought into this lie of peace that isn't peace at all. It's just a lack of conflict. And conflict for the sake of conflict, let's just, that's not good. That's just fighting. But conflict out of love, loyalty, and care that walks our brothers and sisters to Jesus. Honestly, can you love me enough to point out my sin so it doesn't become a stumbling block in my life, but I look more and more like Jesus every day? Can we love each other enough to do that? That's true peace. Peace isn't a lack of conflict. It's both parties surrendering to the heart of God and saying, God, what do you think? 
What do you want done here? What is your will in this? And it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be hard moments because we're not in heaven yet. But when there are, let's not get so caught up on the emotion that we look past the truth. That in love, loyalty, and care, we can come alongside people and say the hard things. And do the hard things and walk to Jesus. The message of the cross also births a deep gratitude within us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts dot, 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 and be thankful. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The constant companion of the cross is a reminder, but for the grace of God. And over the past two and a half years, I've heard many of your stories, and I've heard these phrases, if God had not intervened, if God had not redeemed, if God had not restored. The cross leads us to a deeper emotion than just being thankful. It leads us to a deep gratitude because we're intimately aware, but for the grace of God. If God had not, I would not. gratitude is so powerful. It both strengthens and protects us. Right? It's very hard to grumble and complain after being deeply grateful. And the reality is that we live in a world that is bombarding us to think God has forgotten you. God wasn't strong enough. God is absent. God's not even real. And every day we are being told, forget, but for the grace of God. Give in to the emotions of what you feel rather than what you know is true. And gratitude becomes our anchor. The anchor that you don't see when you're in the boat being tossed on the waves. When the storm is going... And it feels like you are lost in the sea, but the anchor is actually keeping you safe and secure and unmoving. Gratitude points us back to the faithfulness of Jesus, that he has never failed us yet. And even when I look back over my life, what felt like God failing me then I look back and I see God's protection for not giving me what I asked for. I see God's greater. I'm reading a book right now by um, the Garretts, and they were in prison in China, falsely accused of being spies. And God spoke to Julia and said, I can release you tomorrow, or you can trade your release for my greater. She said, she just sat there crying and said, God, that's not a fair question to ask me. But I choose your greater. I choose to stay 
in prison for your greater. And the miracles and the things that they watched God do from prison, the people that they got to speak to that they would have never otherwise met. Church, gratitude protects us from the feelings and the emotions of this world that try to rem- or tell us that God's not here, God's not for you, God's not real. He is. He is. And choosing to see it even when you don't feel it is warfare. It's doing battle with the powers and principalities of this world and saying, I'm not going to listen. I'm going to hold fast to what is true. And I know even if it feels like I'm being tossed in these waves, I am being held secure. And there is calm coming. And the the release from this storm is coming. But I'm going to trust that right now, even though I can't see it, God is doing something. It fortifies and it protects us. Because God never fails. So let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitudes, gratitude in your hearts. My favorite thing over in over a decade of children's ministry were all those moments where kids used their literal logic to explain Jesus in the Bible. Um, there's just a point in time where they are very literal. If you say a metaphor, they're not going to get it. They're going to just think literally. And literal logic is just the funniest thing ever when, as Christians, we use phrases like, we're covered in the blood of Jesus. Right? Like, we use phrases like this, we try really hard not to, but it's really funny to hear what kids will come and tell you in their literal logic. And one of the things that we say a lot is we want to invite Jesus into our heart. So one of my favorite moments was when a little boy decided that his heart's not big enough for Jesus. And so he prayed and invited God into his tummy (laughs) instead of into his heart. Of course, when we're asked to allow God to rule in our heart, that's not what it's talking about, right? This is in a literal moment. We're asked to give room to God in our cardia, or the very center, the very core of who we are. That place where all decisions flow from, where all of our emotions flow from. It's this, this mix right, of our mind and our spirit and our soul. We're asked to allow God to dwell there. And we're called to be dual dwellers. We're called to stay, to work out this life of learning to dwell in God longer and longer stays in the presence of God, more frequent. But we're also asked to invite God the Holy Spirit, to dwell within us. And he's able to do something deeper and something different than if he was just dwelling with us. That's why Paul makes this differentiation between dwelling 
within God and allowing God to dwell within us. There's, there is something that's just different about inviting the Holy Spirit to be part of our life, to dwell in. There's a peace with God, a reminder of the cross, a peace with community, and a gratitude. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up, but this morning, if you just know, like, Lisa, I've spent a life of God with, God's with me. Lisa, I've spent a life of trying to just stay hidden in God, of me being the one to dwell well. but dwell in? I don't know if I've given God the invitation or the space to dwell in. Can I invite you to the altar this morning? And the altar up here is fantastic because it's away from everyone and it's quiet, but the altar of your chair is fine. The altar is just separating you and God. That's it. Or maybe this morning you're just like Lisa, I actually haven't even said yes to the cross. It's great to have the cross as constant companion, but I haven't even just said yes to turn my life over. To make that trade. The consequences of my sin, which are spiritual death, which are an eternity separated from God, for his better, which is life, an eternity with God. And right now I have nothing to walk out because I don't even know God personally. Can I let you know? God knows you. God knows everything about you. Your best days, your worst days, those things that you just cower at night and go, if anyone knew. He already knows them. And not only does he already know them, he still loves you. Not only does he already know them, but his cross is still big enough to cover everything. Maybe you're on the other end. You're like, Lisa, like, that's great, but I really am a good person and I do really good things, and I just actually don't think that I need what you're telling me I need. But how we work in our human minds is we tend to, to categorize or like, it's like an EQ board. <laughs> we tend to give different like heights to different sins, right? Like, 
If you're a good person, your height's like here, but Hitler was like here. And like Hitler is bad and he totally deserves hell and like God probably can't forgive him, which is not accurate. God can. But like as long as you don't go too far up, then you're okay and God's going to be cool with you and you don't actually need the cross. But you know what? God actually flips it. And where we look at it sideways, God looks at it from the top down into him. We're all just one block long. Because sin is sin. Brokenness is brokenness. And our heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. And that alone says we need Jesus. So this morning, if you would say, I just need the work of the cross. I want to invite you to the altar too. I want you to invite you maybe to this altar, maybe to the altar of your, your seat where you can just maybe talk to God for the first time. And meet the incredible love and peace and wholeness that's found in the person of Jesus. Let's just close our eyes for a moment. Father God, we don't take the cross for granted. We don't belittle the sacrifice that you made out of love for us. God, I thank you that you value every person on the face of this planet. That you knew us before we ever were born. And when you went to the cross, you weren't thinking, well, I'll forgive these people because they're like within that realm, but not these ones. No, your sacrifice on the cross covered all sin and shame and brokenness. No exemptions. So this morning, God, if there is anyone who needs to experience your love, your peace, your life, I thank you, the presence of God, Holy Spirit, you're here. That where you are, it says in the Bible, there's freedom. So God, I ask right now that you would help us all to be those who would make room for you. For you desire to dwell in us and not just with. And when we make room, we have to come to odds with the fact that you don't move in as a roommate. You move in to take charge. You become our king. You rule over our heart. So would you speak and would you guide right now in your precious name?